Wow. This is, must, this is what it's like when you have a, a tall pastor. Hey, can everyone see me out there? Golly. It's a joy to be with you, church. How are you, Calvary? Are we good? Man, uh, I, as Zach says, I'm from Shepherd of the Valley, and so I just bring greetings and uh, great warm affections your way from our church. It's such a joy to be with you. I've known Zach for uh, all my ministry life. I cut my teeth at Shepherd of the Valley, and I started there, and so it was great to get to know Zach, honestly, because I knew he was just further along in ministry and just across the hall in the office, and that made for a great mix of getting uh, a great friend and mentor, someone ahead of the game as far as that goes. Um, I think he's an incredible pastor, and he has just grown in his leadership and his preaching right before my eyes, which is so cool. But I think what I love about Zach Moore most, even beyond his ability to pastor, is the way he loves his family, the way he loves his wife, Lexi. And so uh, you guys are blessed, truly. And uh, I'm blessed, Zach, to call you a friend. Thanks for letting me come today. Uh, we are, as Zach said, concluding a series that we're calling Our Favorites. And so I thought I would take a look at my favorite Bible story, maybe one of your favorite Bible stories, the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. And before we jump into the message, the title of my message, you find it in your notes, is Stretch My Triple Grande Non-Fat Caramel Macchiato Faith. Let's go ahead and say that together. I'm kidding. <laughs> Stretch My Faith. In Mark chapter 6, we see this feeding of the 5,000 story that we will share together, and let's go ahead and read it. I don't have the number in your Bibles, in your pews, but Mark chapter 6, verse 35 is where we'll start. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to get food in the surrounding countryside and villages and to buy something to eat. But he answered, that is Jesus, you give them something to eat. Can we say that together? One, two, three. You give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages, as one translation said. Another translation would say eight months' wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke it. Then he gave it to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the fish among them as well. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. Everyone say 12 basketfuls. 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had been eaten was 5,000. We're going to have a great time of church in these next few minutes, but I just want you to know one thing. I preach a little bit faster if you stay in communication and link arms with me and stay engaged. Can you guys stay engaged? If you don't, I will heckle you. Zach knows this to be true. <laughs> so can we pray and we'll get to work? Pray with me. Jesus, we do thank you for these moments that we share. 
God, I thank you for uh, stepping onto the pages of history 2,000 years ago and how what you did and said and taught and the way you lived still is impacting people today. God, I pray in these moments that your Holy Spirit would open up the eyes and the hearts of people in this place. God, for those here that may have just been comfortable sitting in a seat time and time again, I pray that they would get a hold of what you have for them today, that you would stretch their faith in ways that maybe they didn't even think possible today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said? I, I begin with a simple premise, a simple observation. No one likes pain. Am I right? No one likes pain. And as I reflect on my, my life so far, I wonder what caused me to go out for football back in the day. I don't know if you've noticed my size, but I'm not exactly built for the game of football. But in Iowa, they'll let anyone play. Okay? So I go out for football, and I particularly remember one day of practice. We're out there, and we're doing our practice, and our coach decides to draw up a fake punt pass. Okay? A fake punt pass. And he's beginning to draw up the play, and I'm the wide receiver, star on the team. Just kidding. No one else is here to, you know, <laughs> set the record straight. But I was a wide receiver, and the coach said, go out, do a button hook, and look for the ball. We'll fake the punt, and we'll throw you the ball. The problem is, the coach was drawing up that play in front of the offense and in front of the defense. So you can see how this may be a little bit problematic for me. You following me so far? Well, I had a teammate named Jim. His last name will be deleted from this because it's not a positive story of Jim. But Jim was a big guy. I'm a little guy. Jim was a big guy. He was pushing two bills, if you know what I'm saying. And he was a lineman. But for this play, he thought it would be funny to line up 10 yards from where I was going to catch the ball. And I laughed about it because I thought he was just going to, you know, scare me or what have you. Oh, okay. So we line up to run the play. I do the button hook and whammy! All of a sudden I'm splat on the ground. He literally ripped my head right off. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sitting there seeing stars and going, oh, I'm in pain. You ever been there? Maybe not that particular thing, but been in pain before. And I get up and I limp, and I'm like this growing man who's trying to like, you know, be, be a man. And I'm like holding back the tears because he hit me so hard it rang my bell. And I remember just seriously, as if it happened yesterday, my coach just with a straight face after watching me just get completely creamed, looks at me and goes, let's run it again. <laughs> And so we did. And so the same thing happened. But how many of you know, no one likes pain. No one likes to subject themselves to that kind of pain in life. And yet, the gravitational pull to all of us is to comfortable, isn't it? None of us want to subject ourselves to pain, but we move in life towards the comfortable. Comfortable clothes, comfortable shoes, comfortable couch, comfortable everything in life. We gravitate towards the comfortable. There's a new mantra in town. It's something like this, no pain, no pain. And so we dodge it at all costs. 
Yet we know some pain has a purpose, don't we? Come on, church. Some pain has a purpose. When you think about life, education, you put in the time, you do the studying, you do your work, the pain for the outcome. Or there's other things that have pain for a purpose, like pregnancy or labor. Come on, somebody. No one goes through that on, you know, just for fun. But there's a purpose in play, and the same is with working out. That's why we have that real phrase that says, no pain, no gain. We know that what ultimately makes us sore will make us strong. And the gravitational pull for us humans is to shrink back, is to play it safe, to play it comfortable. And sometimes we can kind of deduce our faith in Christ for sitting in a comfortable seat once a week and singing the comfortable song that we're familiar with. But as I look at the story and the narrative of Jesus, we see this no pain, no gain kind of attitude out of our Lord and Savior. You see, as humans, we know this, don't we? That we grow best when we're stretched. And I am sold as I stand here today that in our faith, our faith grows best when we're stretched. And we see that in the life of Jesus as he has his 12 disciples. And anybody who comes into proximity with Jesus, his main goal is not to make us comfortable, is it? But it's to make us ultimately strong and to grow more and more and more like him. And we see that in the narrative today as we look at the feeding of the 5,000. So today we're going to look at three ways to stretch our faith so that we can see ourselves grow. We are on Labor Day, and so we're fastly approaching if school hasn't started. School will kick up, and kind of new life in the church and in our communities will kick up. And so this time, this season is an opportunity, church, for us to reset and to stretch our faith once again. Because I don't know about you, but I've been following Jesus quite a long time. And I want to look back on this year, this school year, and say, God, I'm so grateful that you grew me again. And so we're going to look at three ways that we can stretch our faith today. And so if you are a note taker, the first thing that we're going to do to stretch our faith is embrace limitations. Can we say that together, church? One, two, three. Embrace limitations. Sometimes we learn when we get our whole bodies involved. So I want you to kind of do this, this, uh, this kind of little gesture with me because we're going to remember this by getting our whole body engaged. We're going to embrace limitations. Can we try that, church? Don't break anything out there, but just move with me. Embrace limitations. Gosh, Zach was right about you guys. You're a gracious crew. Man, I didn't know you were as gorgeous as you are. He didn't mention that part. But anyway, I digress. We are going to embrace limitations. No one wants limitations, do we? We don't want limits on our cell phone plans, our spending, our eating, and for a young family kind of guy, we don't want limitations on our sleeping. We want to get it anywhere we can get it. And so we come to the text today, and it says, by this time, it was late in the day. So the disciples, naturally, they suggested to Jesus, send them away to get food. But Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And of course, they say that would take, uh, in one translation, half a year or some eight months wages. So here there is the disciples, my friends. 
and they're literally at their limit. You've got to catch this context. You see, they're, they're not mean disciples. They're just tired disciples. They're just at their limit emotionally and physically. How do we know that? Because in the context of Mark chapter 6, right before this, Jesus had sent the 12 out to stretch their faith, and he sent them out two by two. And so he was encouraging them to be like him. It was like a mini test before he would leave and go to the Father. And so he sent them out to do ministry. And he told them not to bring any food. And he told them not to make accommodations to where he, they would sleep. So they had to find their way and navigate and trust the Lord as he stretched them the whole way through their ministry. And so they get to this point, And they had just gotten back and had a little bit of solitude on the boat. And then they land. And they're just surrounded by people. And they are spent. They have laid it all out there. They are at their limit emotionally and physically. And of course we know they're at their limit financially because they're going, Jesus, money doesn't grow on trees. We don't have eight months wages to spend on feeding these people. They're at their limits, aren't they, church? But what I love about this is our limits is where we end, but it's also where God begins. Come on, somebody. The baton to put in our lives in God's hands is faith. The baton God uses time and time again to stretch us beyond our capacity is faith. When we're at our limits, that is where God can step in and do what only God can do. As Americans, we love to be self-sustaining and take care of ourselves, but faith doesn't grow that way. Faith grows, my friends, when we recognize our limitations, because our limitations are an invitation for God to step in and do a miracle. Haven't you seen that in your life? That that is literally the essence of faith that we put our trust, our abilities, our desires in his hands and let him take care of it. At 15 years old, I felt a, a sense of call into ministry. And so that was both a good day and a challenging day from there on out. Because the inner dialogue in my head was, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. So I went to a, a, a Bible school, a university called North Central University, downtown Minneapolis, got uh, a degree there, and was going to launch into youth ministry at Shepherd of the Valley nine years ago with Zach. And uh, before I said yes to that position, I had my last Wednesday night with the current community that I had been with for four years, pouring into the lives of students and just getting ready for God to launch me into ministry, all the while having this dialogue going, well, he's better than me, and I'll never be as talented as her, and I just don't think I can do it. But I was just trying to step into faith time and time again. And I remember, literally, like it was yesterday, being at that last leader meeting with all the little leaders before we would have our last service that I was going to preach at. And I'm doing the leader meeting, and I'm kind of a quirky kind of guy. You can imagine minus 10 years from right now how extra quirky I may have been and awkward. And I'm leading the leader meeting, and I'm trying to make jokes and make it funny and fun. And there's this cool couple that was just a few years older than me. 
And I'll never forget what she said. She looked at me with a big old smile and said, I just don't think I can see you doing this for a living. (sighs) A dagger in the heart, right? And it was yet again another reminder that I have limitations, that maybe I don't have what it takes. And it was in that season that God kind of gave me a, a little mini mantra. I can't but he can through me. Can we just whisper that together? I can't. He can through me. And that became my new mantra because limitations are inevitable in humans, but they are an invitation for our great God to step in and do awesome things in and through us. If you're taking notes, we need to embrace limitations. The second thing we are called to do is start contributing. Let's say that together, one, two, three. Start contributing. This little gesture looks like this, like you're gonna run a race. Start contributing. Let's try it together. Don't break anything. Start contributing. (laughs) Just messing around. (laughs) What did the disciples say? They said it would take eight months wages. How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked them, right? And the disciples are thinking, who cares? It's irrelevant how much we have. We definitely don't have enough. And Jesus looks at them and says, no, what do you have? Because the little that you have is all that I need. Jesus is interested in partnering with us, church. He could do it all himself, but he wants to partner with us. You see, our math is simple. We look at the numbers and we go five loaves plus two fish equals not near enough, right? And yet God's math says five loaves plus two fish equals 5,000 plus fed with the remainder 12. Isn't that incredible? And yet we look at what we have and we think, oh, it's just so little. Oh, I just don't have that much to contribute. And we start comparing and we start complaining And God's saying, would you just put that aside and would you start contributing? Offer the little that you have and allow me to do something incredible with it. One small contribution can make all the difference, can't it? I love the story, the true story at that, of a meteorologist named Edward Lorenz. In 1963, he presented his hypothesis to the New York Academy of Science. Ed theorized that a minor event like the flapping of a butterfly's wing in Brazil could conceivably alter wind currents sufficiently to cause a tornado in Texas. We call this the butterfly effect. He learned from a prototype in his computer as an accident. Listen to this. On the day of his accidental discovery, he was running late to a meeting. So instead of typing out the full number, .506127, he rounded to the nearest 1,000th, .506. When he returned from his meeting, he discovered a huge change in the simulated weather conditions. The change in those numbers was equal to one single puff of wind from a butterfly. We, of course, know this as the butterfly effect. 
one small change can make a difference. And I would argue one small contribution can make all the difference. What would it be like, church, if we stop comparing to somebody else or stop complaining about the little that we have and we just started contributing with what God has given each and every one of us? Whew. I wonder how this would change Calvary Church. I wonder how this would change Golden Valley and the surrounding areas. I wonder if this group of people stopped focusing on num, 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 what can I get out of this? Num, 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 the sermon is not what I like. Num, 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 why is he wearing this jacket? Num, num, num. What's with all these things happening? And we just started saying, you know what, God's on the move. He is, the Holy Spirit is breathing a new thing, a new life in this church. How can I contribute? You know, anybody can complain. Do you know, uh, that, that's actually very easy and takes very little intellect. But to start to contribute takes some grit. It takes some guidance. It takes some strength from the Holy Spirit. What would it look like for you to get out of the sidelines into the game this year in a small way? Maybe it's time for you to step up and serve in a significant area in the church or outside the church that maybe God has placed on your heart. Maybe for some of you it's just to decide that I'm going to spend more time with my spouse in this season. And I'm just going to contribute a little bit each and every day connecting with them. Maybe for some of you it's giving. And you look around and you're like, well, I'm not like that big giver that I know. So you've held back. But what would it look like for you to start or keep contributing or take that next step of faith when it comes to your finances? Maybe for some of you it's to say, you know what, my small start, my small contribution is just to spend five minutes a day for the next two weeks in the word with my Lord. And to see how God speaks to you in and through his word, not from a preacher, but directly to you. I'm very well aware that this season that your church is moving into a small group season, and maybe you've attended Calvary for years, maybe decades, and you've been content filling a seat, but God's going to invite you to do a small contribution and to step into a small group. Rows are great. Zach and I love to preach to rows, baby. But you know how we grow best in circles? with people that know you, know your story, know your proclivities, know the things that you're working on? What would it be like for you to do a small contribution? Maybe you've been in a small group a long time, and you're like, well, I don't have the capabilities to lead. But maybe there's someone here that you would say, you know what? I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to stretch my faith, and I'm going to lead a group. I don't have a lot to offer, but I'm going to offer what I have and put it in his capable hands. We're going to stretch this year, church. First, we're going to embrace, let's do it together, embrace limitations. Then we're going to start contributing. I can see some of you are revolting. That's fine. <laughs> You'll answer to the big guy for that, all right? I'm <laughs> just kidding around. First, we're going to embrace limitations. Second, we're going to, um, we're going to start contributing. The last thing we're going to do is we're going to leverage our leftovers. You've never heard this point, I promise you, so buckle up. 
We're going to leverage our leftovers. Like, a, like you're digging, like you're going to grab something in it with a shovel. I don't have any calluses, so I don't know what that's like, but let's do it together. Leverage our leftovers. We're going to do it one more time because that was like 3% participation. One, two, three. Leverage our leftovers. Jesus did an incredible miracle. He fed 5,000 just men plus women and children. And what does the text say? That there was 12 basketfuls left over. 12 basketfuls. And I always thought it was just kind of this cute little woven basket, right? Didn't you? Like, oh, let's pass the bread around. Oh, we've collected 12 basketfuls. But the word here is kafinas. And it was, it probably as, uh, was a small man bag or carrying bag of some sort. Scholars will tell us the kafinas was used to carry a small meal or odds and ends. Isn't that incredible? So it's probably not some wicker basket. It was probably some man bag or some small satchel that they would carry a little bit, a little meal, which makes sense. How many disciples were there? How many disciples were there? How many basketfuls did they collect? Wow. Isn't it interesting? The 12 disciples took their coffinos, their man bag, their satchel, and they put the leftovers in it. And what does the text then say? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Another stretch. And so the rowing and the wind and the waves came up and they were afraid. And Jesus walks on water. This narrative is directly connected to Jesus walking on water in Mark chapter 6. And Jesus walks into the boat and the wind and the waves die down. You know that. But what Jesus said next never made sense to me until I connected it to the feeding of the 5,000 story. Look at what it says. Astonished. This is Jesus. He's astonished for they had not understood about the loaves. Jesus was making a connection to their current situation with the man bag full of a little bit of a miracle from the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples didn't make this connection and I'm believing that you will today. They are sitting afraid in the middle of the storm. Meanwhile, in their satchel is a miracle, one of the greatest miracles of all time that just had taken place. And this wasn't just a miracle worker. This was Jesus, the Son of God. Can you imagine? They're in the boat, and the wind and the waves are coming, and they're scared. But they don't realize that the person who created the wind and the waves had sent them on this journey. You see, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be scared because we have a man bag full of a miracle of what Jesus has just done in our lives. I think we're going to be okay. Trusting Jesus while you're in the storm of life may not change your current circumstance, but it certainly will change your perspective. What does it mean to leverage your leftovers? It means God, who has shown up in your life, wants to use what he's done in the past to help you have the faith to make your next faith step. I'm not sure what challenge lies ahead for you. I'm not sure which way God wants to stretch your faith this year, but I know each and every one of us has leftovers that will be used to set us up for God's next 
faith step. That's what he does. One faith step at a time. God shows up and he gives us strength for the next one and the next one and the next one. And each and every one of us needs to use our kafinas, our bag, our man bag from the previous miracle so we can have the faith to step forward as he invites us to stretch our faith again and again and again. This is how he does it. And so here we are in that moment nine years ago where that lady speaks that over me and says, I just can't see you doing this for a living. And I'm going, she's right. I can't. He can through me. And in that internship process, it gave me some skills and some strength and some miracles showing up to help me take my next faith step to come to Shepherd of the Valley. And I show up, and there's over 100 students, and I'm going, wow, I'm starting with a larger ministry than the current one from my mentor at this other church. I don't know if I can do it. And so what did we do? We prayed, and I sensed God say this while I was in a service. He said, I was overwhelmed. I'm like, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And I felt like he said to my heart, not audibly, but just in my heart, and he said, love the ones I give you. What is that? A small contribution can make a big difference. And so what did we start to do? We started to love the students that God put in front of our faces, and we left the rest to him. We left the outcomes to him. And we showed up, and we loved the students. And we brought them and put them in positions for God to change their hearts. And over time, as Zach said, God continued to bring more and more students. And more and more students began to feel the love of Jesus and get a hold of him and share it with their friends. And all of a sudden, we have more students in our student leadership than we did in our high school ministry in total. It was quite incredible what God has done. And to God be the glory each and every time. But what did he do and how did he do it? He consistently leveraged, as humans, he wanted to partner with us. And we leveraged our leftovers time and time again and say, God, you did it then, you'll do it again. God, you did it then, you'll do it again. This is David and Goliath. This is the Israelites crossing over the Jordan and taking their stones. Why did they take stones from the Jordan? So they could remember for their next faith step. God has done it in the past, he'll do it again. And this is how our good God does it. He chooses to use us to partner with him to do incredible things for his glory. So what are we going to do, church? Let's do it together. We're going to embrace limitations. We're going to start contributing. And we're going to leverage our leftovers. And maybe you're in this place today and you're like, I can't think of a miracle. I just, I just can't. I, I'm sure he's done something in my life. And let me tell you, church, no matter where you're at on your faith journey today, every single one of us, we have a first miracle that we can put in our man bag, that we can put in our satchel. The first miracle is the cross. It's at the cross that Jesus gave his life willingly, joyfully for you and I. He laid our sins upon himself, a perfect human, that we might be made righteous in his sight. And what's so incredible about that miracle is he didn't stay on the cross and he didn't stay dead. But three days later, he rose again, punctuating everything he said and did while he was on this planet. That you and I might look at his life, 
that we might read it in the pages of his book and our faith might rise up. Each and every one of us can leverage our leftovers because each and every one of us has a Savior who went to the cross for us that we might live forever. So church, may you leverage your leftovers. May you start to contribute and keep contributing. And may you embrace your limitations because they're just an invitation for God to show up in incredible ways. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for these moments that we share. I thank you that you love us so much that you went all the way to the cross for my sin and my friend's sin. God, I pray that as this community looks to their future, I pray that they would simply trust you again and again and again. Father, if there's anyone here who's just been comfortable sitting back, I pray, God, that they'd be willing to stretch themselves so that they can grow with you this year. Lord, if there's anyone here who feels far from you, I pray that they would know that their first miracle is that you gave your life for them. We love you, Jesus. Continue to do an amazing work here at Calvary. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.